we are so excited. Uh, you're going to be more excited than ever to uh, uh, be able to share with this. This is Colton Dixon, who came right out of the American Idol Hollywood Week. And so... And I have already loved meeting you. I've loved having you here, Colton. I mean, seriously, I really have. When, when I'm an American Idol fan, and when it started, and I told Colton, I mean this, when I was watching the additions in Hollywood Week, for some reason, he caught my wife Pam and mine's attention. So we were rooting for you. And uh, I want you to know that. I appreciate that. I do. Cool. And we think the judges got it wrong. So, uh, <laughs> but... But when the, uh, you were, came down to the ending, and it was like, the way you took it, you showed such class. I know that you have a faith that's greater than this. And the one thing that I got excited about, you said this actually, you felt the hand of God with you through this whole process. So let us know a little bit about that. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, first of all, I didn't want to audition. Um, my sister was auditioning, and she made me audition. I thank her for that now. But, you know, uh, that's how that played out. Um, but I think I've grown more spiritually through this entire process than anything else. Um, Every time I made it through, I had to learn how to completely rely on God and not rely on myself or um, my voice or my memory of lyrics or something because I didn't have it, you know? Um, there was one time I was going on stage and I couldn't remember the lyrics at all and God just gave them to me. Uh, it was incredible. Um, but yeah, so definitely growing spiritually um, through this process has been amazing, absolutely amazing. I wouldn't give it up for the world. Yeah, and I really sense that God has put his hand on you and used you already. Like today, people, you're going to sense that too. Um, one of the things that I was intrigued by, and you mentioned it a little bit last time, is there's a lot of believers, a lot of people who are part of the Christian family that you got to interact with. Yeah, totally. Um, Scotty McCreary is a Southern Baptist boy. So yeah. for those of you rooting for Scotty, it's another reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the people you meet, um, there's a lot of the non-believer there, obviously. Um, but it was very cool to meet up with um, some people. Like, there's another guy with me, Jimmy Allen, um, who got cut the same time I did. Uh, we still hang out all the time. But um, it was good to have that fellowship. Um, without that and without God, uh, I'll, you, you, know, you wouldn't know who I am. So there you go. <laughs> all right. Hey, and I, I, I think this is really cool. Uh, you had uh, a kind of an interesting connection with one of the judges. I did. Uh, the men are going to appreciate this a lot, but uh, J-Lo and I had the, quite the connection. It was pretty yeah. cool. So um, I got a quick story. So my sister and I were going to Bridgestone Arena, which is in Nashville, to uh, try out. It was the first time I had seen the judges. Um, but we walk in, my sister sings, and then I sing. And um, I get done, and they're going off saying good job or whatever. And J-Lo goes, great job, baby. Now, for the men, what is the key word in that statement? Baby, that's right. Yeah, so I'm proud of that right there. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. You said like your heart stopped and wow, you know, so that's cool. Hey, um, when we asked Colton to come, uh, we actually sent a couple songs over to him and said, hey, what about doing one of these two? And, and I want you to know, he, he right away said yes. I mean, he wasn't like, he's here to serve. He just loves God. But then he said, there's, but there's another song, if, if we could do that instead. And it ended up being way better. Uh, it's really going to fit where we're headed this morning. Uh, but I, I think that what you got to grab hold of is it shows his heart. And uh, it's the song Everything by Lighthouse, which, by the way, happens to honestly be one of my all-time favorite songs. Man, I put that song on and I get goosebumps. There's one line more than ever. It says, how can I stand here with you and not be moved by you? And when you sang that last hour, man, wow. So uh, tell everyone why that song means something to you. Well, cool. Um... If you guys have seen it, um, there's a skit that goes along with this song. Um, if you haven't, go to YouTube and look up Lifehouse Everything Skit. It will change your life. It really will. Um, but it's about 
um, this girl who's on stage with this guy that's, um, who is God, um, and he's kind of taking her through the motions of life and showing him all the joy in life and in him. But then um, life happens, um, and different temptations come along um, through different people. There was one guy who was a boyfriend or um, lust. There was another, uh, another guy who was money, the love of money, and a girl. Um, and then there was, it came, all came down to uh, suicide. Um, all these different things. She's holding a gun in her hand. And the bridge is, you're all I want, you're all I need, you're everything. She throws down the gun and starts chasing back after God, who is pulling um, behind all these temptations. Um, and then eventually he throws down the rope and becomes her shelter and protects her from all these temptations. And I tell you what, guys, I can't watch this without crying. Like, <laughs> call me emotional, what? I don't care. Ugh, it touches me like crazy. And I'm so excited to share this with you guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am too, and I know you're going to be too. Uh, what I want to do, though, before we have Colton sing is I want us to pray for him. He's, uh, God's opening some doors right now that are really awesome, and he's really dedicating it to ministry. By the way, uh, Wednesday night, he'll be here leading worship at Generate, which I'm excited about. So, um, uh, and you're going to love that. You're going to love that. But uh, let's pray for Colton right now. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, Colton's desire and dedication to allow every opportunity that comes his way to literally let him be more and more and close to you, used by you, guided by you. And Lord, I ask that you open doors for him. And Lord, I even want to say this, close the ones that would take him down a path that would harm him. But open the ones, God, that would be so incredible and so amazing and would touch lives and create amazing things. And I thank you for his heart. I thank you, Lord, for the desire he has to be yours. And God, what a blessing it is to have him here with us today. We pray for him and thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Crossroads, do this. Welcome Colton Dixon right now. Find me here and speak to me. to feel you I need to hear you You are the light that's leading me to the place where I find peace again Stand here with you 
not be moved by you And you tell me How could it be Any better than this Yeah You calm the storms And you give me Could it be 
any better than this. Great job, man. Great job. Awesome. Oh, awesome. Wow. It is so good to have him here. If you remember how it was when they brought the three of them out, Randy Jackson told him at the end, he said to, to Colton, only one of the three, he said, you make sure and come back here. You make sure and try out again. And so whether that's where God takes them or not, God's opening some amazing doors. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you the way you love and care for us and ask God right now that you just really use this time to help us to understand how, how we're to live every aspect of our life knowing you really do want us to know your love, your care, your provision, and your direction. May we understand how real this is. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to think about something. We're talking about and focusing on the seven sayings of the cross, the seven things that Jesus brought out when he was hanging there, literally dying in that moment. We shared last week that it would have been incredibly difficult for him to breathe. It would have been very, very hard for him to be able to utter anything. So the seven things he was saying are things that would have been really important to him in that moment. And, and, and so he begins by looking at, at everybody around him who's attacking him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, what does he do? He shows love to those who could not have been more mean-spirited and cruel than, than they were in that moment, and Jesus cared for them. But that's a cry that echoes beyond that moment all the way to our day and time, where he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he calls out for forgiveness for us. And then a thief who's on this side of him uh, uh, says, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Somehow he knew and believed that Jesus was going to win, even then, even emaciated, even in pain, even bleeding in that moment. He believed that Jesus was going to somehow, somehow enter into a kingdom and take it. And Jesus trusted the faith of this man enough and entrusted himself to him to look at him and say, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't just in the moment just ask for forgiveness for all. He gave forgiveness to the one who asked for it, but he also gave something even more important, the assurance that when we die, that we're not left alone. The assurance that when we die, if we know him, and if we call out to him, that he will take us. And then it becomes even more specific. Because in this moment, he's looking and he's watching those people mock and attack and ridicule and in the midst of the pain, and somehow in eyes that were swollen from being beaten, he looks down and sees his mother. And in that moment, he cares more for Mary than he does for himself. I want you to think about that with me today. I don't want us to lose sight of that. In that moment, he cared more about Mary than he did for himself. And as he's looking at her, hopefully you're in John 19 with me, you see it says this. It says, the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garment and made four parts, a part for every soldier and also the tunic. And now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast it lots for it to decide whether it shall be, this was to fulfill, or whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided the outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now notice as it goes on in verse 25. Therefore the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross, as they're mocking him, as they're gambling for his clothes, standing by the cross are four women. 
It says, standing by the cross were Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And uh, also Salome's there. In verse 26, it says, but when he, they, then Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, to John, the apostle, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Now, I don't know if you're going to get moved by this, but I got to tell you, I do. I mean, just the idea that Jesus is looking in this moment at his mom and he's looking at John and he sees what's happening. There are four women who are brave enough to draw near the cross. Mary, his mother, Salome, who's the, wife, or the mother of James and John. So John is standing there with his own mom. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the wife of Clopas that we know almost nothing about. Four women standing there and one man. Everybody else has deserted him. Everybody else has left. And they're there at the risk of their own life. But Jesus, in the midst of the agony and the pain, looks down at her and he cares about her. He thinks about her. He cares about how she feels. And then he cares about what's going to happen to her. And so he says to her, behold your son. And in that very moment, he's calling out and saying, I know how you feel. I know the pain you're in. Just as we saw last week that it would be prophecy fulfilled, that he would intercede for those who were standing there mocking him and attacking him. This was also a fulfillment of prophecy. If you have your Bibles, you see in Luke chapter 2 that there was a man who actually came uh, and the day that Jesus was being dedicated as a child, Jesus would have only been eight days old at that moment. And in Luke chapter two, Simeon walks in and he's in the midst of there, probably in the midst of the dedication in the temple and he sees Jesus. Now we know that God had told Simeon that he would not die till he had seen the Messiah. And when he lays eyes upon him, he knows this is him. This is the one. This is the one that was promised for Israel. This is the one that would lead them into a new life. And he must have had an elation rise up within him that you and I can't imagine because God had told him, Simeon, before you die, you'll see him, you'll see him. And there the baby is, this child of promise. And then he goes and he takes the child in his arms. And in chapter two, verse 34, it says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Now, you know what? I, I'm not sure how this happened. But we know that people who are giving prophetic visions see something that's very real. Isaiah in Isaiah 53 literally was describing Jesus in a way that showed that he saw more than just some words. He saw the man. And I, I want to tell you, I think what happened is when he took that baby in his arms, all of a sudden he could see the cross. He could see that day that would come some 33 years later when people would be yelling and screaming and mocking. I think he looked down at this beautiful, pure baby and could see the emaciated man that was there and the pain that was being caused and that he was being opposed. And uh, I'm not so sure that in that moment when he said those words to Mary, he might not have looked up and saw some of the very Pharisees who 30 years later would be screaming at Jesus because they most likely would have been there that day. But then he looks at Mary. You know, it's uh, 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 most likely, it's most likely true that she was between 13 and 15 years old. And he's looking at this young teenage girl who's just given birth to a child 
who she knows is the Messiah, the promised one of God. She, better than any other, knows the miracle that cost his birth, his life, and had an assurance from God of what he would do. And not only does he say to her, he's going to be opposed, I think he looked at her and thought, oh, you're going to see it. You're going to have to look on this child that you love. And then he says these words to her in verse 35. He said, a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts might be revealed. He looked at this young mom and said, one day you're going to feel pain like you've never had before. Not only is your heart going to break, you're going to be pierced to the depth of your soul. You're going to hurt like you've never hurt before. That's how a mom would feel. When a mom sees their child in pain, and I want you to not miss this. This, is a, this really happened. There really is a Mary who stood before a cross and looked at Jesus having her heart broken and her soul pierced as she looked at the son as people mocked and ridiculed and he hung there in pain. How did she feel? How did she feel? We're blessed here at Crossroads to have a wonderful woman in our church called Nikki Grimes. Nikki is an award-winning writer and she wrote a book about Easter that I would just encourage you to get. But in the book, she wrote a poem called The Last Goodbye. It's how Mary would have thought what Mary would have felt in that moment. I want you to think about it with us. So this is how you have him wrenched from me. Permitting lying lips, leather lash, holy men flinging fistfuls of anger, sharp as the spikes that split his sweet muscle, spoiled his smooth skin. I'd have gladly laid him unblemished, unbroken on the altar had you asked. You gave me some sway in his beginning. Why not his end? Look at him. I can never kiss away half those bruises. His countless wounds would dye all my cloth crimson. Besides, these human hands hold no healing. Maybe it's best if I go with John now, if I say goodbye and let my son fly to your arms. When we read it, I hope you understand, and I hope, hope I understand, this was a real mom looking at the son that she loved with all her heart in incredible pain. This is a real son looking down at his mom, seeing how much she was hurting. Behold your son. I, I, here's what he was saying. Look at me, mom. Look at me. Uh, our son, Rich, was very young, um, seven years old, I think. And uh, he started having these horrible headaches. And one night he was standing in our bedroom and he cried mom, dad, and I looked up and he just threw up and, and then started crying and holding his head in immense pain. We comforted him through the night trying to decide whether we should take him to emergency or not and then the next morning Pam took him to the doctor and an amazing doctor, Dr. Burke, just showed such care and he ran some tests and he told Pam that he needed to have Rich come back the next day. Well, Pam was leading a Bible study so I agreed to go and I went and said hi to all the women in our house, and then I grabbed Rich, and, and we got in the car and started driving, and we're talking, and everything seemed wonderful. When we got to the doctor's office, though, they immediately just took us straight in. And um, Dr. Burke said, I, I'm really concerned. And he had Rich's eyes dilated, and he looked into his eyes, and then he called me out into the hallway, and he said, um, I need to have you go into Los Angeles right now to our, our clinic there. You need to get there as quick as you can. 
I said, well, I need to call my wife. He said, no. He said, what your son has is so serious, we don't want you to wait a second more. Just go. Man, as we're driving in the car and I'm looking at my son and I know it's serious, I, I don't know what this means. But I know I'm scared and I know I'm praying and I know I'm trying to show courage to Rich. And then when we got there, it was a five-story medical facility and we walked in, there was this huge line, but there was somebody waiting for us that walked up and said, are you Mr. Brewer? And I said, yeah. And they said, no, come right now, don't get in line. They took us up to the fifth floor and we walked into this huge waiting room that was filled with people and they took us right past everybody. And we sat in this room that had the most incredible medical equipment you can imagine. And we weren't in there literally two seconds to the door opened and in came two doctors. Now, I, every time we were waited on that quickly, I knew it got worse and worse. And uh, they, they said, this is serious. We'll look at your son. Then we're going to talk to you about what we're going to do. And they literally had this kind of, this, this hood come over the top of him and they could each look into his dilated eyes from two sides and they're looking and the one doctor said, I see it, do you see it? And the other doctor said, I do. And they took me out in the hallway and they said, hey, it's gonna be tough to hear this. But your son has one of four things. He either has spinal meningitis, he either a brain tumor, a cytocerebral tumor, or he could have Rye syndrome. And uh, if he has Rye syndrome, he's not going to make it till Friday. It's too advanced. This is Tuesday. And he said, we have to move quick. We want you to do everything you tell us. Now, I haven't even called Pam yet. She has no idea what's going on. And my whole world started to fall apart around me. And when we got in the car and, 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 and we drove now to Cedar sinai Hospital where they're going to admit him, and we go inside and again, they're waiting for us and they take us up to the room and, and we're in, literally, I, bet, I don't think we were there in 10 minutes. He had just put on the gown and the door opened and in came not just one, but a team of doctors led by Dr. Pellegrino, who uh, is a renowned, renowned specialist when it comes to brain issues. And uh, he had this team of doctors he was teaching and he said, we need to look at your son and then we'll talk to you. And he began to look and they saw the same four possibilities. And, and when he walked out of that room, I'll never forget my little boy looking at me and saying, Dad, am I going to be okay? And uh, I said, Rich, I, I know you'll be okay. I just don't know where. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know God's with us. And uh, we got on the knee, our knees together in that hospital and we prayed. And then I finally got to call Pam. And I said, you got to get here quick. Now, everybody's a parent. You know the pain you feel in that moment. You know the agony that's there. Well, the, the good news of it is they realized it wasn't Rye syndrome. But they said there was so much pressure building on his brain that they had to relieve it by doing a spinal tap. And as one of the interns is telling me that, I, I said, well, I'll be there with them. He said, no, we want you to be there with them. You're going to have to hold them tight while we do this. And I said, well, you're going, to, you're going to numb them, aren't you? And the intern looked at me and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we wouldn't let a little boy like that go through that kind of pain. So they went out and got ready to do the procedure. Pam now finally makes it in. She's crying, and I'm crying, and we're trying to cheer Rich up and trying to stay strong. 
And then Dr. Pellegrino walked in and said, can I see you outside a minute? And then we walked outside. He said, all right, uh, Mr. Boer, what I'm going to ask you to do is your son needs to be balled up very tightly. I need you to grab his head here, his feet here. You cannot let him move. And I said, well, you're going to numb him, aren't you? And he looked at me and said, no. We can't do that. Who told you that? And he looked at my face, and I got a, I just that they're going to stick a needle in my son's spine as I hold him like this? And then he said to me, I can't let you be in the room. And I said, no, I'll do it. And he said, no, I, am, I'm, I don't have time for this. I, I need your son strong. I cannot, you cannot be in the room. And he wouldn't let Pam and I in the room. And all of a sudden, the door opens, and this team of doctors walks in, and I hear my son screaming, where's my dad? Where's my dad? Where's my dad? And they had told me I can't be there. And then I hear him screaming through this big, thick door. No, no. And then they must have inserted the needle because he screamed like I've never heard anybody scream in pain in all my life. And when that happened, I looked at Pam and I literally lost it. I started crying convulsively. I, I threw my arms around her. I, I almost fainted. She's trying to hold me up. And then we both went to the ground and I just started crying and crying and crying. Because my son was in there and there was nothing I could do. When I read this, that's what I think happened to Mary. I really believe I know how she felt. Jesus is up there being attacked and beaten and mocked and, and he's dying in front of her as he pulls up to talk and gasp out anything. It would have been with great effort and I think it just literally, not I think we know, it pierced her to her soul. Nothing hurts more than when your children are hurting like that. And in that moment, that's the pain she's feeling. But I don't want you to miss this. Please don't miss this. Jesus doesn't miss it. Jesus sees her pain. Jesus sees her agony. He looks at her saying, look at me, look at me, mom. When he says, behold, I know he wasn't saying, I want you to stare and be in agony. He was saying, mom, look at me. And he says, look at me, your son. And then he looks at John and says, but I want you to look at her. She's your mother now. Now, why? Because he knew the agony she was feeling, the pain she was feeling, but he also knew the life she was still to live. He wanted her taken care of. Now, you might ask this question, why John? Why was John chosen? Why? Jesus had brothers and sisters. Uh, James would come to believe in him. Jude would come to believe in him. Why didn't he say, Jude, James, take care of her? Well, there's, there's two or three reasons, and I want to give them to you. Number one, they weren't there. Only his mom was. All his brothers and sisters deserted him. But there's even a more important reason. Jesus knew that John would be the only one to outlive Mary. All of the rest of the apostles would die before she does. His brother James and his brother Jude would be killed before she would die. Jesus knew her life and cared about every need she had so much that he looked and said, he said, John, you got to take care of her. You're going to be the one. He also, there's a third reason, he knew how John loved. And he wanted her in a loving, caring relationship. And I want you to know there's a reason we need to talk about this because every saying from the cross has immense meaning. 
The need for forgiveness, that's why he came. The need to have assurance when you die. But get ready for this. The knowledge that Jesus Christ himself cares about every area of someone's life, including yours. Uh, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, uh, look over at me and what happens here in Matthew chapter 12. We're backtracking from the cross probably two to three years Jesus' popularity is immense and people are gathering around so much so that you can't hardly get to him. I mean, he's so popular and and so uh, sought after. And then look what it says here in Matthew 12, verse 46. It says, while Jesus was speaking to the crowds, these huge crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Don't miss this line. Verse 48. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of the father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, it's not that Jesus didn't love Mary. It's not he didn't love his brothers and sisters, but don't miss this. Jesus said, in the same way I love Mary, I love you. Now, I I don't want this just, as I prayed about this, I thought, I I hope I'm not losing you on this because this is huge. Jesus cares about me just like he would any brother he had, any mother he had. He loves me that way since I seek to do his will. He loves you that way. And and where I'm going is this hanging on a cross. He looked at Mary and he cared about the pain of the moment, but the life she was yet to live. He wanted to make sure she had food. He wanted to make sure she had clothing. He wanted to make sure she had protection and care. He looked at the man who could best do that and he provided for her. And I want you to know that if you really have a relationship with the Lord, that's what it's supposed to be like for you and me. This isn't, again, the idea that we come here to be religious It's the idea that we come here as a part of a family where we're loved by a heavenly father who cares about every single need of your life. He cares about every single need of your life. If you're in Matthew, go over to Matthew chapter six and look at what Jesus said. And I want you to know that hopefully the vast majority of you are gonna say, this is how my life is with him. This is what it's like to be known by him and to have me know him and live with him. And in Matthew six, starting in verse 31, Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? In other words, did you catch this? Eat, drink, clothing, those necessities of life. Verse 32, for the Gentiles, that's people who do not know God, eagerly seek all these things. But your heavenly father knows you need all these things. Now I'm going to read on, but don't miss this. He knew Mary not only needed to be comforted in the moment, he knew that she needed a relationship where she would be cared for Not just so John would take care of her outward needs, but the pain of the moment and the needs that would come after. And when he looked in that moment, dying on the cross, what he cared about is who's going to take care of my mom? Well, I know who is. By the way, don't miss this. When he looks at you from heaven, he asks who's going to take care of you. He cares that you have friends. He cares that you have food. He cares that you have clothes. He cares that you have a place to live. There's some of you, too many of you in this room right now who this past couple years, you're wondering, am I going to have a home? I mean, I, I know that. I, and, and I'll tell you what is, is there's got to be a bunch of us, including me, that ought to say, Lord God, I, I didn't have to go through that. But some of you did. But I want you to know that God cares. 
not only cares, he has a plan. Notice what it goes on to say in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, what should you and I do? Worrying won't get you anywhere. He said, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. What did Mary do? She drew near the cross and had every need that she didn't even know she needed met. Everything that would come met. God's not going to be surprised by anything. God knows, and he's watching out for you every single moment. And if you start going, but what happens when I get to retirement don't have any money? And you say, but you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't know it would be like this. And God says, but I did. Does that mean you shouldn't plan and do the right things? No, you should seek first the kingdom and seek to live righteously. But I want you to know this, that God still loves you. And he's not going to let go of you. And by the way, if you're sitting there going, oh, okay, it's easy to say those words. No, it's not just words, it's truth. And I hope you've been living it. I hope you've been letting him love you that way. Look at verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He says, don't worry because I've got you. Mary, look at me. And John, you take care of her. I mean, those are incredible words, but it's not just for Mary. It's for anybody who seeks to do the will of God. He cares about you that way. I don't want you to miss that. He, don't miss this. He cares about every hurt and pain you've ever had. He cares about every time you've ever felt lost and didn't know if you'd make it. Psalm 56 verse 8 says, You have taken account of my wanderings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Now, now I want you to grab what God says, is that you and I have never shed a tear that he didn't keep. If you ever wonder, does anybody care? Guess what? He cares. Does anyone notice how bad this hurts? He does. And, and if you and I could open our eyes to him, we would. I want to tell you something. There's been four or five times in my life that God was so clearly apparently there that I knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, I'm not saying I don't know God's with me, but I got to tell you, there were times it was so powerful, so incredible, so personal, where I think God literally said, Chuck, and he pulled back that veil that's between us, and I literally felt the power and presence of a God who loved me like you can't imagine. One of those moments was the moment I told you about when I'm crying my eyes out for my son. And not only was Pam hugging me, God did too. And I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew we were going to be okay. And I had no medical doctor to tell me that in that moment. Nothing else happening. I just knew God had taken the hardest situation I'd ever faced in my life up till that moment. And he was there with me. And God was there. And, and I, I've had it happen more than that. God doesn't want to just be this God who's out here. That's where I get so concerned about people who become Christians, but they don't realize how close God wants to be. I'm not saying you, you don't know that God loves you. I'm saying, are you experiencing his love and experiencing his care and believing with all your heart? He's not going to let you go without food or clothes. He's not going to let that happen to you. And, but how do you handle it? What do you do? Well, you seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness and he'll take care of it. You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you is what it says in James. And you know what else you do? You draw near the cross. The cross of the one who loves you. He has a plan and a path and a purpose for your life. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Now catch that. God says just trust me. You know why? Because I got a plan for you. 
I have a path for you. I have a way for you to go. Now, here's where I'm going. Clearly, he cares about your hurt and pains. But did you know he cares about the purpose of your life and your hopes and dreams? God doesn't want you always in pain. He wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to turn our mourning into dancing. He wants to turn the ashes that we sit in of sadness and despair into times of joy like we can't imagine. God wants to put upon you and on me the garments of praise, it says. Now, those are beautiful words, but they're truths to be lived. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13, some of our all-time, most of us in here, I think we love that passage. It says this, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I got to tell you, I've had some dark times in my life where I wondered, do I have a future? And God was saying, Chuck, you got a future. You have a hope. By the way, there were a time I was here with us church family and everything looked bleak and dire. And I was literally right there when the Lord touched me in a way, again, I can't imagine, and said, you get ready for what's gonna happen at Crossroads. You get ready for what I'm about to do. And then I really believe with all my heart, God told me this, you, the Jeremiah 33, three, I think God said, for Crossroads, you pray this prayer, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know. Now God has that for us. I really do, not just for us as a, as a group, for individuals here. Great and mighty things God wants to show you. He wants to give you a future. He wants to give you a hope. And he never wants you to lose and have despair rule your life. In other words, know that God has a plan for you. He cares about your pain and he cares about the plan and the purpose of your life. He wants you to experience it. Jesus hanging on that cross today prayed over Mary. And he called out and interceded for her. What does intercede mean? He knew the needs she would have before she even knew she would need them. And he took care of them by saying, John, you take care of her. Do you know what Jesus is doing today? Do you know what he's doing right now? I think many of you do, but let's just make sure we all know. Did you know that Jesus is praying and interceding for you individually right this moment? Now, you might say, where do you get that? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he, meaning Jesus, is able to save forever. He's never, ever not going to be able to help you, it says. He's able to save forever. Now, notice who it is. Those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Today, if you seek to draw near to God, guess what he does? He draws near to you, and then he makes intercession for you. If you're sitting here today and you're lonely, he makes intercession. If you would seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, he's gonna bring relationships in your life to meet every need of your life. He did that for Mary, he'll do that for you. He lives to make intercession for you. If you say, but God, I don't want my life to be meaningless. He says, oh, do I have a purpose for you? So when you lay in bed at night, you're gonna know you matter. You say, God, I'm so filled with sadness. He's going to intercede for you and bring joy that will be so immense that the Romans 8.28 promise will actually be true for you. For God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and live their life according to his purpose. That's what Jesus was saying to Mary, and that's what he's saying to you and me. Remember he said, everyone who does the will of God is like my mother, they're like my brothers, they're like my sister. And the Lord is saying that for everybody here today. Now, it doesn't matter what you've done. You could have literally lived the worst life possible, but God is so amazing and caring. He would call you to himself to enact these promises for you. By the way, it doesn't matter that you've fallen or failed. God can take that and turn it into the most amazing victory ever. 
It does matter. You ready for this? It does matter that you've been hurt. I've been uh, involved in hearing some of the most heartbreaking things I can imagine that have happened to people who are part of this church family. I gotta tell you though, every single person I've sat with who shared that with me recently, they've all said, but you know what God's done? I wanna tell you, it doesn't matter that you've sinned. It doesn't matter that you've failed. It does matter you've been hurt. But it does matter even more that he wants to heal your hurt and he can't. Maybe even an old pain, an old wound that you've tried to get by on. But what do you do? Well, you draw near to God. He does this for everybody who draws near. He's not going to force it on you. He's going to offer it to you. Just like he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He was offering forgiveness. And now I want to tell you this. If you're here today and you're not in an intimate relationship with him, I want to tell you what he's doing. He's praying for you. He's calling out to you. We share this all the time. In Revelation, it says, Behold. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He personally comes and he tries to get us to open up to him. And I'm not, I'm actually positive. I am positive there's not a person here who at some moment hasn't sensed God touching them. You might have dismissed it as, oh, that's how I was feeling in the moment or I was psyched. But, you got, but it was real. And today, if you're not in a very intimate relationship with him, I want you to know he wants you to be. He wants you to be. And how do you enter it? Well, he knocks on the door. You just need to say, come in and mean it. You need to seek first his kingdom and the ways that he has for you. That's what righteousness is. And so today, if you are not in a relationship with God where you sense his love and you sense his purpose and you find him providing for you and leading you and giving you hope and joy, I want to ask you in a moment, we're going to go to a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to ask you just to say some words, whisper words. It's the first step in coming to him. And then we'll go through some other steps because it's a journey. It's a process of growing. By the way, today, if you're a Christian here and you're right with God, let me tell you this. How's it feel? How's it feel to know that you could not be more loved than you are right this moment? Hey, all of you who are part of this family and you love the Lord, how does it feel to know he cares where you live? He cares where, where you drive. He cares for some of you a lot about how you drive. And, uh, <laughs> right, doesn't he? I think the Lord's telling me, slow down. No, not really. <laughs> he cares about you. So if you're here today and, and you think, oh man, I hope these other people hear it. Let me tell you something, all you who love the Lord. And he's praying over you right now. He really is. And, uh, I, I got to tell you, he has some things for you in your future. I, and, and you, and these, I know it's true. And me too. Praise God for that. But today, if you're not experiencing that, I'm going to ask you in a moment just to open up and say yes to him. Let's pray. Father, I know that you have a plan for me and you love me. And I know I matter to you as a son. And I love knowing there isn't a man or a woman in this room that also Lord, you, you care about them. You care about everyone, the sons, the daughters, the ones who still need to become children. They need to say yes to you. But I pray all of those who are Christians here today, who follow you, who draw near to you, God, that we would more than ever keep experiencing this. For those who are just struggling right now, but they're believers and they're hanging on, God, I pray that they would hit a place where they don't have to just hang on because they sent you hanging on to them. And for those who are just living the life, God, may they even live it in more incredible ways. 
But I ask right now that your Holy Spirit, literally, I ask, Lord, that you begin to move in this room. And I ask that you touch people. Lord, I want to ask this right now. Please, right now, Father, would you begin to touch anybody here? Somehow stir within them. Somehow may they know this is their moment to say yes to you. For the person who's sitting here and they feel like everything they thought in life that matters is gone. All the things they enjoyed seem to have been taken away. What they thought they could count on, they can't now. God, I pray right now that they would sense your love for them and this is their moment to come to you. Father, I want to pray for the person who's sitting here right now and they have just, they've just become very aware of how bad a hurt and pain they caused in someone else's life. And I pray, God, right now they would know that you're going to help them. That they can walk out of here free. But they can walk out of here knowing that you have something that you're going to do with this situation that will change it completely. I pray they'll say yes to you. Father, I pray for a person who's a Christian here today. And they did some things they knew were wrong. They knew they were going to do it. They knew they were going to ask forgiveness, but now they're so devastated about what they did, they hardly can bring themselves to it. And Lord, I pray right now they would know that you love them and they should ask. They should ask. So God, for everyone right now who needs to open up to you, maybe for the first time or to recommit, I pray right now, Lord, your spirit's going to touch. I pray they're going to do it. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And I really mean this. If you're right with God, would you right now start praying and praying for anybody who needs to make this decision? But if you're here today and you're ready to open up to the Lord, if you're ready to literally enter a relationship with him or come back to that, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray a prayer with me. I actually want you to whisper it. We'll just do it together. And what you're doing is the Lord is saying, I want you. And you're going to be telling him you're ready to say that you want him. So let's just pray this together right now. If you want If you really want to have this life, if you really want his love, if you want to be his child, he wants you. Pray this prayer with me. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross because I have sinned. And you want to forgive me because I have hurt and pain. And you want to heal me. And you want to free me from all my fears, my worry. You, Lord, want to make me alive. And you want to make me new. And I know you want to make me yours. And I, I say yes. Just whisper those words. I say yes. I want this. I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And praise God if you prayed that prayer.